you have a country or you have a continent that is one energy poor but water rich but we can't even produce clean water for our people the next major construction of power plants was supposed to be a nuclear power plant because at that time every uh, or the, the nation saw the need to have enough energy not to just support ghana but support africa Welcome everyone to today's episode of the AfriNuke podcast coming you live from Africa where we talk about different aspects of nuclear technology using the African voice. Today marks a historic day in the history of this podcast as it becomes the 50th episode in this journey. We started about three years ago and there is no better way of telling the story of nuclear from where it all began naturally. Today we have the honor and privileged opportunity of bringing a notable professional in the wake of the nuclear renaissance in Africa in the person of Professor Seth Kofi Debra from the Gateway to Africa, Ghana. There is no better person positioned to tell your story than the son of the soil where it happened. Listen up as we delve into his erudite mind to tell us about the emergent Africa nuclear renaissance Ghana's position. We are also giving the opportunity for questions and answers. So if you have any questions in your mind, put them in the chat box and then we will attend to them in the course of the discussion. I'm going to go straight now to the discussion for today. Professor Seth, it's been amazing knowing who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Thank you very much for the privilege to be on the, this podcast. And thank you very much for those kind words. Uh, my name is Seth Kofidebra, uh, born in Ghana, raised in Ghana, school in Ghana. I hold a BSc in physics, a master's in applied nuclear physics, and a PhD in nuclear engineering. I was conferred upon the honor of a associate professor in 2022 in nuclear engineering. I work with the Atomic Energy Commission, specifically the Nuclear Power Institute. The commission is made up of seven institutes, and I head one of the institutes called the Nuclear Power Institute. The Nuclear Power Institute is responsible for delivering the technical, addressing the technical issues related to Ghana's nuclear power and delivering it to uh, Ghana's nephew for decision making. So that's what we do. I also teach at the School of Nuclear Allied Sciences that under the University of Ghana. And I'm also a research fellow at the University uh, of uh, Natural Resource, uh, Natural Resource, Energy and Natural Resource uh, in Sunyane, uh, also in Ghana. I've done a lot of work uh, research and also uh, I do some work uh, for the International Atomic Energy Agency in terms of consultancy. Uh, and expert missions uh, to help other African countries, other newcomer countries, to establish their nuclear infrastructure to be able to uh, adopt nuclear power into the energy base. So basically, that's that's what we have. Thank you very much. That's such a very rich history of who you are, and I am very confident that there is still more to come. After COP28, there is a new push to increasing nuclear capacity and new embankments. Do you think this is coming at the right time for your country, Ghana? Thank you very much for the question. Uh, I think it's it's giving goals be not looking about before COP twenty eight and COP twenty seven or COP twenty six or COP twenty seven was uh, a very big eye opener where the nuclear industry 
looking at their capabilities, uh, looking at how best they can support climate change. They started making very good inroads to how best they can support the climate uh, agenda or the climate change agenda uh, in the world. I won't just start from Ghana. Let me let me start a bit uh, from the African region because I think that's a region we need to uh, take seriously and take for the region to take the right approaches. Currently, we, we don't we don't emit much as as a continent. All the emissions you look at it, most of it uh, have come from the advanced countries, the developed countries, industrialized countries. Africa don't emit that much. But we are getting to a certain space where Africa uh, economic uh, fabric is being changed, it's being accelerated. And one of the biggest ways that we're going to accelerate this is using, is using energy. We keep talking about climate change, and uh, but we also keep looking at the fossil aspect of uh, power generation. And you can clearly see that um, it's, it has remained same or it has even increased a bit. Talking about natural gas, I'm talking about all the fossil uh, fuels that we use for energy generation. It has changed because we, we don't have or we have not accepted the alternative that's able to address the issues of climate. And basically that is nuclear. You can't put a thousand megawatts uh, solar power plant without affecting the land use, without affecting water. Um, and we, we need to find that solution that gives us that dense energy and that dense energy is coming from nuclear. Yes, we will need some renewables. It's very key. It's important. But that is not the only solution. If you look at the IPCC report, now it keeps changing year on year. At first, it was just renewables. Now, we are also considering nuclear, which is key. So I won't say the COP28 spot. African countries have been looking at this option, but with some skepticism. But I think going forward, looking at other countries doing it, people are now, or the countries are now getting much comfortable, much bolder to accept this technology and use it for the rapid development of their, of their countries. Thank you very much for such an encapsulating uh, rationale for Africa's position and movements towards integrating nuclear. I would like to know, and the people listening as well, what is Ghana's nuclear vision and how far so far? And just like you said, given the current population of some African countries like Ghana, you can get and meet your energy needs from conventional sources. Why do you have to go nuclear, Professor? Thank you very much again. So our, our vision as a country uh, was something that was conceived when Ghana got independence by our first president, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. So it's not something that we didn't know about. So I am very sure people listening will know very much of Akusumbu uh, power plant, uh, the hydro power plant. In the planning of the country, you could clearly see that after the construction of Akusumbu, the next major construction of power plants was supposed to be a nuclear power plant because at that time, every uh, or the, the nation saw the need to have enough energy not to just support Ghana, but support Africa. We, we couldn't see the realization of that project, so we, we lost it. But 
in 20, 2008, uh, the then president reinitiated it. But again, there were challenges with the whole system. But in 2015, the project was reinitiated and the target is to not just provide energy. And this is where it gets interesting. Not just provide energy for industrialization, but to find a way to change how we even do our, our business in the energy sector. And let me just explain a bit. When you take nuclear energy or nuclear power, you are not just talking about power, but you are talking about how we, we do our things. There are standards that we need to conform with. And you, you can testify. I mean, you go to Nigeria. I've been to Nigeria a few times. You come to Ghana. You go to some few other places uh, on the African continent. You see that there is a standard on paper, but nobody even enforces those standards. Uh, substandard uh, materials are imported into the country. They are sold. Um, even in the electrical uh, sector, they cause fires and all those things. But you go into other countries where nuclear is operating, and you can see that the standard of nuclear is so high that it affects every aspect of society, including education. We are not just talking about power, but we are also talking about producing clean water for our people. You have a country or you have a continent that is one energy poor, but water rich, but we can't even produce clean water for our people. You go to places like the UAE and they are able to produce good water for their people. It's a desert. We're able to produce good water from a very long distance. And that's where we need to get to as Africa. That's where we need to get to as Canada. Now, where we are as a country, uh, I don't know how many of us know the IEA infrastructure, uh, the, the, the milestone infrastructure issues, but it's, it's, a, it's a scheme. I'll call it a scheme. It's a scheme, it's a three-phase scheme that allows country to systematically develop their nuclear, pro, their nuclear uh, program. And that scheme, so phase one, you are just trying to find out what your infrastructure issues are. And when I talk about infrastructure issues, I'm not just talking about the hard infrastructure issues. I'm talking about also the soft issues of management, issues of national position. What is your, what is your government saying about your, your systems? What is the safeguards infrastructure you put in place? The funding and finance, do you have money to fund it? If you don't have money immediately, where do you seek to get the money? Have a good idea of what you need. What is the legal regime within the country? What is the safety regime within the country? And what is the safety regime currently you currently that that country is having and what needs to be done as you move forward. The issues of grid comes into play, the issues of environment comes into play, the issues of where you are going to incite the plant and the supporting facilities come into play, the issue of procurement, what procurement regime do you have and what you need to do as you go forward. So you have these issues that you need to address according to the 19 infrastructure issues. And you address these 19 infrastructure issues in each phase, in each of the three phases yeah. of the milestone. So Ghana have addressed all the infrastructure issues or the requirements of the phase one. Okay. And um, we had 
what we call the infrastructure the integrated nuclear infrastructure review mission that was carried out by the International Atomic Energy Agency in 2017 and then follow up in October 2019. We call it the phase one India mission. And the outcome of the mission was that Ghana has conducted all the necessary work to make a knowledgeable decision. Okay. So the way to make a knowledgeable decision is you need to put that report together as what you call a comprehensive report and then submit to government to make that decision because that decision doesn't lie with the technical people. Because nuclear is a hundred year commitment and you are committing to another country, that decision needs to come from the political um, political elite. So that's what we did. We put out the comprehensive report and gave it to government. It went to cabinet and cabinet approved that comprehensive report and said, based on the technical work that has been done and the report we have been given, Ghana is going nuclear or be continuing this nuclear program. So currently Ghana is in phase two. And in phase two, currently we are engaging vendor countries. Uh, we have a company that is nuclear uh, power Ghana that is headed by a good friend of mine, Dr. Yamwa, who used to be with the program. And we are engaging vendors from countries that have the, the, the technology to, to develop within the country. Wow. So that's where we are now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Professor, you've been so enriching because I come to realize that um, a lot of African countries follow the IAEA milestones, but some of them are not having some level of clarity on where they are. And Ghana seems to be a bit um, ahead uh, of most sub-Saharan African countries that do not already have a nuclear power plant before. So that gives me a high level of courage and confidence that you guys are doing the right thing. And the international community are also pinning their searchlights on Ghana as well, seeing how ready and how kind of advanced you guys are in your planning and implementation of and reaching the milestones of IAEA. Uh, and something happened late last year, which uh, kind of um, also aroused my curiosity about uh, what's happening in, in, in Ghana. The US, uh, US um, IFNEC delegation were in Ghana last year and your president was also at the IAEA general conference as well last year and this is like pointing towards something and it tells me that you guys are doing something very meaningful and something that calls for attention so uh, can you tell us I mean like although you've told us about a bit uh, about what you have achieved through the IAEA uh, and the international communities coming and all this how is your country receiving it? How is the public um, reception of all this international kind of attention in nuclear coming to Ghana? I hope it is not arousing some negative energies, which is normal, but how is the how is the feel generally? Well, thank, thank you once again. Yeah, uh, you are right. Yeah, last year, we, we had the ethnic uh, meeting in Ghana, or conference in Ghana. But most importantly, we also had the US-Africa Nuclear Energy Summit also in Ghana within that same period, within that same week. Um, let me start from the IE and then I'll come to Ghana and the US uh, and ethnic interaction. So, yeah, last year the president was in Vienna during the general conference yeah. to give assurance to the 
that Ghana is committed to what it is doing Fantastic. in terms of nuclear power, uh, to use nuclear power for peaceful purposes. And he gave a good um, idea where Ghana wants to go. He didn't miss where Ghana would want to go, both large and small. And Ghana is considering these two uh, main technologies. On the front of the the public conference and yeah. yeah conference and the public perception yes uh, in ghana we we have some some level of uh, negative public perception and we we are very much aware what the people are looking for and what information people have because usually people make or pin their their positions based on the information they have Unfortunately, the information they have are negative information. I'm, just, I'm not just talking about Ghana. I'm not just talking about Ghana. I'm talking about every, everywhere around the world. Nuclear, uh, from the beginning, had um, an unfortunate startup, and that was in Japan, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Okay. So everyone is apprehensive going that way. You look at the three accidents, and that's where everybody uh, pinned their opinions or pinned their position that look at these three accidents. But they forget that nuclear power plants have operated and decommissioned safely, and nuclear power plants are still operating around the world. So we we keep encouraging people, we keep giving them the the the, the, the data that is out out there, and. What we have found is that when you give the people the facts yeah. and you speak to the facts, yeah. they change their minds. True. And they see the potential that nuclear holds. And that's where we are as a country. We've been able to dissuade a lot, including some things within the country, that this is the way to go. Uh, at first, it was difficult. Uh, I'm glad one of our communicators is online, uh, and he will testify to this. We we had some uphill task, but with time we've been able to to convince the people that they're the way to go. You still have some few pockets of people who disagree with us, yeah. And it's it's normal for a large project like this. It's always normal. You have some people who disagree, but that doesn't mean we should just throw everything away because a few people disagree. So. Sure. We have to still continue talking to them. We need to continue uh, giving them the facts and kind of explaining what the project brings along. Okay, so now you told us that you've set up uh, a local company, a nuclear power company that welcomes vendors. What are the challenges you are having in terms of financing and maybe other things that surrounds infrastructure? Because I believe you need to develop some local capacity for your uh, infrastructure development to get the nuclear power plant uh, constructed at the initial stage. So do you have any challenge in this regard and how are you hoping to build to overcome this challenge? You are, you are, you are right. And um, um, I'm glad you are bringing this up. Um, it's, it's no secret. Ghana currently uh, is going through some few challenges financially. It's come up, uh, so it's nothing uh, new to talk about. But one great thing is that as a country, we prioritize. Even though we are having challenges as a country financially, there is some priori- priority given to the program uh, and projects. And I, I would like to mention the two ministers that are leading this uh, 
this whole thing that number one will be my own minister, that will be the Minister of Environment, Science, Technology, and Innovation, Dr. Dr. and the Minister of Energy, uh, Dr. Matthew Bukumprepe, uh, of the yeah, of Ministry of Energy, who have been uh, leading this in terms of prioritizing what we need and then making sure there's funds available to, to undertake that. So let me let me just have a bit of differentiation here. What we're talking about here is financing. Yeah. But we also have funding. So financing has to do with the project. So we have a project, we need to finance that project. That is the current stage in which we are. And we are not expecting all the money to come from Ghana. A bit of the money will come from Ghana. Mostly it will be what we call sweat equity or it will be land or it will be something of value that we bring into play. But then the money needs to come from somewhere else. Okay. Um, you look at the Hinkley Point C uh, that is being constructed in okay. uh, the UK. Yeah. You can see the money is not coming. All the money is not coming sure, from the UK. Sure. Some is coming from France. Some is coming from China. China. So there is a consortium that you need to put together. And that's what the Nuclear Power Ghana is doing. But when it comes to funding, it's how the infrastructure is improved. How the infrastructure is improved security, uh, uh, safety, all those things, building capacity. That's what the government is doing right now. And that's what the government is responsible for. And that's what it's doing right now. So yes, we don't have a lot of money to spend, but we find a way to, to make it work. And one of the biggest ways is also connecting to the international community. You mentioned, uh, if like you mentioned, uh, how do we call it, uh, the US uh, DOE. These are some of the ways that we use in funding some of our, our activities. You mentioned uh, there, there is also the, the, the Japanese government that also supports us uh, in, in our technical uh, cooperation activities. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Professor. I'm very confident that with this um, level of um, attention being given both nationally and internationally to your nuclear project, it will progress more expeditedly than um, initially thought. I would like to know are there timelines and um, maybe uh, how is the progress like towards um, getting those vendors and what are your timelines if you have any? Oh yes, um, as, a, as a program we, we, we have timelines. We need timelines to follow those timelines to make sure that a project is viable. So when we started 2015, we developed and based on the IEA milestone. We, we the IEA milestone approach gives you between 10 to 15 years of uh, planning and implementation. Okay. So as a country and as at that time, what we did was well, we took the last or the highest uh, number of years because of our financial situation. So we took 15 years. That's been to conceptualize to work on the infrastructure issues, to construct, and to operate. So, and wait, 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 wait. Technically, yes. you are telling me now that by 2038, we will have a nuclear power plant in Ghana. It's actually 2030. Wow. This is fantastic. The plan like, is to have 2030. Wow. Have a nuclear power plant in Ghana, and that's what the roadmap is giving us. So currently, I know the nuclear power Ghana is engaging some vendors. Uh, well, I was working with them when I, I, I was there. I still work with them all the, all the same. They are engaging uh, vendors to make sure that we have a vendor as quickly as possible. The government is also very serious about this. Immediately, that is out of the way. Then the whole uh, 
process of uh, getting the, sorry, uh, signing contracts and all those things come to play and then construction can then start. Um, perfect. Fantastic. So um, <clears throat> now when you want to have such a huge project like this, you know, it attracts a lot of international um, attentions and people will want to look at those standards and um, best practices. How is uh, Ghana's commitment to international standards and best practices and how do you hope to kind of um, kind of um, marry these expectations with your goal or your ambition for progress? How are you able to like um, make this go together so that you achieve the same thing without, um, I mean, like allowing one to suffer? So uh, this is it. Um, and we, we, we have made that commitment. Ghana as a country won't go contrary to the standards because the standard makes what nuclear is today or has made nuclear as it is today. So we are not going to go contrary to those standards and codes that are used in the nuclear uh, fraternity. Though we always say this, a nuclear accident somewhere is a nuclear accident everywhere. And Fukushima will give you a very good example for, for people as young as myself. So 2012 Fukushima happened and it slowed down the nuclear industry so much. Yeah, did. So we don't want Ghana to be the country that has come online for the first time and then fails to operate a nuclear power plant safely. It's not going to happen. So the standards are going to be upheld. All right. We have started, yeah, we've started working with the regulator. The regulator is in place, headed by Dr. Ni Alote. Okay. And they are working on regulation, they are working on guidelines to make sure that nuclear operates safely and securely. Once again, everybody, welcome to Afrinuke Podcast. This is a live podcast. And if you have any question, kindly type it in into the chat box and it will be attended to as we go towards um, winding down in this conversation. The efforts of your agency in terms of public engagement, because people will definitely want to raise some issue. And you have talked about um, organization, having some communications team and all that. So I know it will affect some level of public acceptance and some people may not um, accept it. But then you have to follow um, what um, is of greater benefit. You've also told us about the milestones of the IAEA. You've talked about different aspects of uh, the timelines. You've talked about the financing, the infrastructure, and how the IAEA and IFNEC, the events that is going on in Ghana. You guys are really, really giving us a run uh, from Nigeria, I would like to say. <laughs> so, because um, you always give us challenge when it comes to um, building out infrastructure, especially from the um, research reactor standpoint, I remember uh, when Ghana got theirs, Nigeria had to wake up and say, hey guys, what are we doing? Ghana has got theirs. What's, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> so we, <laughs> we went to get ours as well. And I hope this will be a, another impetus to us to get in this and replicating it as well in other parts of Africa. And yeah, I mean, it will be for the good. And thanks to the vision of uh, Kwame Krumah, I, I have a very great and huge respect for him. He had a very salient and sterling vision for Africa. And having that vision for nuclear, not just providing electricity, but for development of the land, of Mother Africa's land. So I'm really, really impressed. And I hope that... Um, this journey we have become and we have begun will bring us um, greater benefits in the future. And as we wind down, 
uh, your country has a, a very um, sizable population of both um, gender and uh, your nuclear program must in any, in a way integrate this diversity so what's your commitment to uh, inclusion and diversity within the nuclear industry you know some female folks may be very much um, attentive to knowing what's the commitment so that perhaps some Nigerians want to emigrate to Ghana to work in your industry. They need to know how welcoming you are of the agenda. So please, can you tell us about your com country's commitments to inclusion and diversity within the industry? Thank you very much. Um, let, let me make this statement before I, I answer the question on diversity. Ghana's program is not just for Ghana. It's, it's for the West African um, region. Wow. So whatever we are planning, we are making sure that West Africa is well integrated into it because now we have the West African uh, grid that we can export power to and we need affordable power to develop the region. So it's not just for Ghana, it's for the region. It's something that we need to clearly understand. Before you go to the uh, question, I need to sound that um, someone from the transmission company of Nigeria and we talked mm -hmm. about the West African power pool just yes. um, some few days ago and you Great. can go and listen to that podcast. He told us about um, the West African power pool and their plan to connect the whole of uh, the 15 countries in West Africa. Yeah. So I'm yeah. very much um, uh, impressed to hear that the Ghana's program will feed into that um, transmission network. Yeah, technically, you, you can't have a, a thousand two megawatts or let's say two thousand megawatts power plant sitting in Ghana producing gas for Ghanaians. It's not possible. We don't have that capacity to uh, take up that all that power table. So we need countries that need that power. We need to resource other countries to to also develop, and that's what we the, the plan is now on diversity. Ghana uh, has been a very uh, has been very welcoming, uh, especially when it comes to women development. Um, if you if you remember um, after the, the, not after but the Beijing conference, one of uh, the key people that were leading it uh, was the wife of the president uh, as at that time, Nana Kunedu Ajumai Rollins. Okay, um, she was very instrumental. Um, other first ladies have been very instrumental in the development of women uh, within the country. I will say that the program is very welcoming because when you look at some of the sighting activities, not the, the sighting activities, but the sighting activity that was carried out to locate the site, it was led by a woman, uh, I will mention her name, Alberta, Alberta Blay. Good. Alberta led that, that, and she was the manager of that center. So with Ghana, it's not about you being a man or you being a woman. It's about you having the competence. So we go beyond seeing uh, uh, gender. We, we look at who has the competence to actually do this. And that's what we look at. So yes, diversity is important, but let's look at competence. Cool. The ladies have a lot of competence that they bring to bear. And I always say this, uh, especially for those married, when you get to homes, it's not the man who is controlling things. It's the ladies that control the things at home. Sure. They set the things up. And our mothers will, will clearly be examples. I mean, when you go home, 
and you want even your your school fees, you don't go to your father, you go to your mother. Your mother will then talk to your father to get your free school fees for you. I mean, I'm talking about the generation of the 80s and the and the, the 70s. And you you clearly see who controls the homes. Yeah, is the mothers, the multitasking and all those. So yeah. women are built with that. It's, it's a gifting, I believe, that's of God. Okay. They are built with multitasking. They are built with leading things. All we need to do is encourage them to do more. We have ladies in engineering right now that we are working with. We have ladies at the high school that's uh, through... Uh, NEA and DOE, we, we had a mentorship program for them to encourage them to take up science programs to come into the field. We need more ladies in the field. And once you have more ladies in the field, trust me, your success rates will definitely go up. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Now we are winding down on this episode of the Afrinuk podcast. Do you have any role model and how have that impacted your career? Would you be open to mentoring upcoming young professionals as well? Role models I have many. Um, <laughs> um, apart from, uh, I'm a Christian, so apart from Christ, I have, I have other role models. Um, one, my, one of my number one, one, my number one role model would be my, my father, uh, my late father, who is uh, who guided me in, in the area in which I am. Uh, I have uh, Dr. Alubako of the Logos Rima Foundation for Leadership Resource Development. Okay. Uh, a key key role model. Uh, I have professors um, that encouraged me, uh, built me up, gave me the platform to be where I am today. Uh, Professor E.H.K. Akao is uh, one of my greatest role models. Okay. Uh, Professor B.J. Binyako wow. is also another one. Nice. And I have a, I, I call him a father that's a Professor Sefwaba, uh, he, keeps, he he will always call you advice you. Uh, people like Professor uh, Amwesi is also one of the great role models I have. So there, there are a lot of people I can I can mention all of them. Okay, sure. But these are these are some of the key ones I can mention for now. Uh, in terms of guiding others, the young ones, why not? Um, I I have a program that I. I run uh, that's on the personal level that I take people on, uh, especially students, and try to inculcate some of my uh, beliefs, some of my systems into their lives. They may not know it, but once I supervise you, by all means, you pick a thing or two from me. And people I work with, I have some principles, I work with them, and with time they pick it. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm willing to, to do that. and. Uh, uh, hopefully the people will pick it and uh, work around with it. All right. Thank you very much. We now go to our question and answers. Ogu Chibuike is asking, considering insecurity in Africa, how safe is it to build nuclear power plant? I guess that's the summary of his question. <laughs> Ogu, that's a very good question. But let me assure you, whenever you are, you even think about nuclear, one of the key issues you need to address under the infrastructure issues is security, nuclear security. And we are not just talking about fiscal security, we need to talk about cyber security nowadays. There is a whole um, publication on cyber security and how to avert uh, cyber attacks. So when you talk about nuclear security, we have various levels. So yeah, you have insecurity. 
And trust me, with this current world we are in, nobody is safe. So if you think Africa is not safe, or there is that perception Africa is not safe, I think you need to travel more and see other places. But there are systems that are put in place to make sure that the security or the integrity of the system or the reactor plant is all, always intact, it's key. And it's something that we work on all the time. We keep improving it from time to time. Um, you have two nuclear reactors sitting on the continent in South Africa. Okay. Yeah. Um, the xenophobic attack happened in South Africa, but you never heard that a nuclear power plant was compromised in any way. Sure, sure. Yes. So these are some of the things we need to look at. Let's not just look at the the easy to pick things, but let's look at what systems have been put in place to make sure that if, and it's a big if, it's a capital if, if it happens, what are the systems that are being brought online to make sure that that attack is averted? Okay, thank you very much. Engineer Ali Bukar Amal asks, are you going to build the capacity you need at once or in phases? Secondly, is Ghana planning to use the nuclear energy for electricity purely or use some derivatives of it like generating hydrogen fuel further? And okay. also, he's also asking about fusion and... <laughs> okay, uh, engineer, uh, Ahmed. Uh, so this is it. We cannot build capacity at a goal. It's, it's, <laughs> it's impossible. It's like you telling me we need to build a house overnight. It's impossible to do that. Capacity is built over time. I even go much further and say not just capacity, but competence. Competence, where we are talking about skill, knowledge, and attitude. So that's what we need to build. And it's going to build over time. It's not just going to be built at the high level of university. No, it's going to also be built at the technical level. Currently, we are working with the US Department of State and the US Department of Energy to start building what we call artisanal skill. Okay, yeah, like welding. To make sure, like welding, yeah. um, like uh, electronics, uh, like construction technology, mm. all those things yeah. to make sure that our people are fit for purpose. And when the construction starts, then we have that level of skill. And that's why I keep talking about standards. Mm. If you have these people and they have those standards, when they finish the world, then what do you think they are going? They can work in any other field. For welding is welding. They can work in any other field, yeah. but work with a certain level of precision. And that's what we are looking at. Um, his second question has to do with, if I can be reminded. Uh, other applications, can it be? Other applications, so, well, yes. So if you look at uh, nuclear power, you are looking at uh, about 33% current uh, technology, 33% efficiency. It means about 60% of the heat is dumped into the condenser. Sure. So you can actually use that heat for processing uh, Beverage processing is, is an example. It's, it's pure. It's pure steam. It's not. It's not irradiated. Yeah. So you can you can do process heat or you can have heat pumps and do uh, space cooling. Because in Africa we don't have heating, so you can do space cooling if you if you need if you need to. You can also do uh, desalination if you can couple it with uh, an arrow uh, reverse osmosis system. You can do the desalination. 
We've not thought about hydrogen yet because it's still something that is coming up. Um, but I know there are systems that are in place. Uh, I saw a system of, uh, I think, one megawatt uh, system in the US that they are still working on to expand that you can produce hydrogen. So it's something that we can we can look at. But this needs to go into the licensing of the plants because if you don't license it for the application, you cannot use it. And that's one thing that we need to look at critically. But in our comprehensive report to government, all these things are in there, that these are products that we can actually have. Can you believe when you are able to do this animation and you have your clean water, the byproduct, the brine, you can get industrial salt from it. And yeah, and it's something that is used in the petrochemical industry. So yes, we are looking at all these things and we are very much interested in this account. Thank you very much. Charles Osuji asks, what manpower and capacity development institutions or programs in Ghana are designed in domesticating nuclear technology and, uh, yeah, okay, ensuring, yeah, domestication. I think you've touched on that, but if you want to highlight, yeah. Let me just touch a bit. Uh, We've started at a very high level because we didn't want to produce people or produce the products and their product don't have anywhere to go. Uh, so we started in 2006 on a product of that school, of course, uh, under both The Ghana started developing people in physics, chemistry, engineering, nuclear engineering, uh, at the master's and the PhD level. So now we have people who are very competent in these areas. The next level is to do or cascade it down to the undergraduate level and also the technical level. And that's what we are we are working on. So all our programs are built in country, run by our universities, run by our, our, our people. I teach at the school, all the people who, who are who are teaching currently at the School of Nuclear Life Sciences under the University of Ghana uh, and the Ghana Atomic Energy Commission are staff of the Ghana Atomic Energy Commission. Yes, we have one or two people that are coming in from outside to teach, but they are coming in as visiting professors or agents professors. So these are these are some of the things that we are we are doing. Thank you so much, Professor. I'm I'm going to take the last question from um, Engineer Awal Bisala. He asks in developing uh, uh, on deploying conventional nuclear power plants infrastructure in Africa, uh, it's a it's a huge capital cost uh, intensive um, endeavor. What is your opinion about having two or three neighboring African countries coming together to build a number of nuclear power plants that will service the needs of these countries? You are you are very right. So there are some few things that you need to you need to take care of or you need to consider. Number one, the ownership of it. Uh, there is a reactor, I think, I've forgotten the two countries, but two countries operate uh, one reactor. So th- there is to, there needs to be a clear approach to how it's being carried out. It's possible. It just gets it more complicated. As countries within, within the, on the continent are affiliated to their colonial masters, we are on African platforms, so I can say this. Sure affiliated to their colonial masters. So once the colonial masters are not interested in a certain agenda, it becomes difficult to implement that agenda. Mm. And this is the fact. So we need to find a way. It's possible to do it. There is always that possibility. And if you ask me, I will say that is one 
one of the ways to go about it, having two, three, four countries coming together and say, we are putting this plant here. This is the ownership structure, this is the financing structure of this plant. And this is how we are going to do it. It's possible, but the challenges are so much that if you go alone, it's much easier to, to, to do it. And then the outcome, that is the energy aspect or the end product, is now shared on the continent or even uh, in the sub-region. All right. Thank you very much, Professor Seth Debra. It's been very enlightening with you. And I cannot think of a better moment of conversation than this time that we are marking our golden jubilee on this uh, jubilee episode, I would like, on this endeavor. You've been so um, enlightening. You've been very enriching in this uh, session so far. And I would like to say a very big thank you for taking our time out of your busy schedule to be with us on this live podcast. And on this note, I'd like to draw a curtain on today's episode of the AfriNuk podcast. If I did not attend to your question, uh, I'm going to package it and send to him. And please, uh, you can always go and listen up to the podcast after the recording today. It's going to be posted on the on the podcast site and you can get it on any podcast delivery platform by just or just type in Google, Google in AfriNuk podcast, you will get it. So thank you, everyone. And thank you for staying up uh, up to this time. Have a great weekend and enjoy yourselves, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you, Prof.